0: And so after much deliberation and research, we came out with a statement reminding people that while you can certainly go through these residency programs, it doesn't allow you to change your population foci in which you are certified.
1: What are gerontological advanced practice nurses and what do they do? Let's talk all about it with Natalie Baker, president of the Gerontological Advanced Practice Nurses Association, right here on episode 377 of The Nurse Keith Show. Hey there, this is Nurse Keith. This podcast is always about you, your personal and professional development, your career, and the healthcare system as a whole. And I'm here to share education, ideas, very frequent diatribes, and informative interviews with some of the most inspiring people out there. I love having you along for the ride and I thank you from the bottom of my nurse podcaster's heart for being part of the growing Nurse Keith Nation. And if you'd like to help other people find the show, Consider leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any other podcast app where you find us. And also consider becoming a patron of the show at Patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash Nurse Keith. I really appreciate the reviews and ratings and my patrons. I appreciate it all so very much. And you can head over to NurseKeith.com to find the show notes for this episode. So, as I said, we're here with Dr. Natalie Baker, president of the Gerontological Advanced Practice Nurses Association. And, Natalie, you have an amazing pedigree in terms of what you've done as a nurse and a nurse practitioner and a doctorally prepared nurse. You have incredible credentials and a background. And, my first question for you really is tell us a little bit about where we are in terms of. Nurse practitioners leaning heavily into gerontological practice.
0: So, thank you. It is a pleasure to be here today. So, as we know, baby boomers are aging. We're all aging. And many would be surprised that by the uh, year 2030, we will have more older adults in the United States than pediatric patients, uh, people less than age of 18. So there are many, many opportunities to care for older adults. And also older adults are living longer. So we not only have more of them, they're living longer. And they also are requiring more expertise and knowledge by clinicians who can understand the intricacies of aging.
1: Now, I'm going to be 58 this summer. And I guess I'm one of those people (laughs) Um, because I'm pushing into my 60s really soon in 2024. So I'm part of that demographic, actually. And I'm trying to keep myself really healthy. So my nurse practitioner doesn't have to work too hard with me. But I hear you on the aging of the population. I know Japan has the highest. Uh, proportion of older people in their population, and I know it's a real issue. So there's a couple things I'm curious about. There's there's a lot to talk about. First of all, we've had gerontologic nurse practitioners in the past, and we now we have the adult gerontological nurse practitioner. There's been a lot of like shifting around of what nurse practitioners are called and what. Designations we're giving them, and it can be super confusing. Like we don't even have adult nurse practitioners getting certified anymore; just the ones who were previously certified. You told me on our first call, planning for this podcast, that there's this thing which I've been trying to study called the consensus model for APRNs. What does the consensus model really mean, and what what are they trying to accomplish by having this this pretty dense document that i've been going through
0: sure and it is it can be extremely confusing not only to nurses and healthcare providers and clinicians but also for the general public so back in the early 2000s there were several nurse leader organizations who got together and was looking at trying to Maybe level the playing field, so to speak, because we had all of these different advanced practice programs, educational programs out there, but they weren't all consistent in how they trained the graduate level nurses. So in 2008, a landmark document was released, and it was the product of a four-year partnership between the Nursing Consensus Work Group and the National Council State Boards of Nursing's Advanced Practice Registered Nurse Committee. And in that landmark document, it defines advanced practice through four different roles and it further states six different population foci. It also describes advanced practice regulatory model and it identifies the titles that can be used for the four roles.
1: Right, and I see that there's a long list of nursing organizations who have basically signed on to this model. Um, it's a really long list, and I'm, it seems there's probably some who did not. So, what are the the main nurse practitioner roles now? That if if I'm a nurse. And I want to go to graduate school and become a nurse practitioner. What are the different tracks that I'm going to encounter? Because a lot of people contact me saying, you know, what are all these choices I have now?
0: Okay. So I heard two different questions there. One is what different roles can you actually study? And the other question, what are the different areas if I'm a nurse practitioner? Yes. So, let me first back up and talk about the four roles. Okay. So, every nurse who goes back to graduate school and gets their master's or their doctoral degree may not necessarily come out an advanced practice nurse. Many will come out as educators, but having not followed that track as prescribed through the consensus model. So the four roles are the nurse practitioner, which is the most common, you know, the one that we're most familiar with because it, it is the most popular. Um, the second one is the nurse anesthetist. Then we also have the certified nurse midwife and the clinical nurse specialist. So those are the four roles in which you can follow the track and become an advanced practice registered nurse or also known as an APRN. Got it. Thank you. Okay. You're welcome. So then nurse practitioners, once you decide, okay, I would like to be a nurse practitioner. Then when you start your studies, you must declare which one of the six tracks or population foci you would like to study. And those are the family nurse practitioner, also known as um, the um, track that goes across the lifespan. Uh You can do psych mental health. You can do women's health and gender related um, issues. You can do neonatal. You can do pediatrics. Or you can do adult gerontology. And they have combined adult and gerontology.
1: Right. They put those now, two together not that many did. years ago.
0: They did, actually, as a result of the consensus model, which mm-hmm. was released in 2008. It's hard okay. to believe that next year it will be 15 years old. However, it was not fully implemented until around 2014 or 2015. Once this document was released and endorsed by some fifty different nursing organizations, it took time to revamp curriculum, to to um, to rewrite certification exams, to learn how to accredit nursing programs all over again. So obviously it took some time. And then also, If you decided you wanted to do pediatrics or the adult gerontology, you further have to then decide, do you want to do acute or primary care?
1: Yes, exactly. And one of the things I've talked about on this show and just talked about with other nurse practitioner colleagues is, you know, when when someone goes to medical school, they get to try all these different things, right? And then at the end of that period of time when they've kind of put their toe in all these different ponds, then they can declare like their top three areas that they're interested in, emergency medicine, cardiology, and then they get awarded basically or chosen for a residency, dot, 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 right? So it's interesting the difference with advanced practice nurses, how you have to choose what you're going to do before you even get to, you know, dip your toe in the pond. So on some levels, I feel like this disappointment that for nurses that they don't get to have that kind of, you know, broad uh, exposure that medical students do. Do you, do you feel that there's any, there's a deficit that we experience because we don't get what the medical kit folks get?
0: So I like your analogy about dipping the toes in the pond. So in the nursing education world, we view the opportunity to dip those toes in the pond and to kind of figure out what it is you want to do when you're a registered nurse. So when you're a registered nurse and you're out there working, Maybe an ICU or long term care facility, dialysis unit, med search floor, wherever you're working, you're having that opportunity then to determine okay, I have a passion for X.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And now I would like to further my knowledge, become an advanced practice nurse. So now I know I want to work with this type of population. So to do that, I must apply to the mental health nurse practitioner track, or the neonatal nurse
2: practitioner
1: track. Now, that makes sense to me. I like that. And here's where one of my concerns come up, and I wanted to run this by you. We didn't talk about this when we spoke the other day. We have these direct entry master's programs where someone who has not worked as a registered nurse can become a nurse through direct entry. And they, rather than getting an associate or bachelor's in nursing, working for a while then getting a master's, they come into nursing with a master's degree. Is that an issue in, on any level when someone comes in there rather than kind of working their way through the, the levels that say, like I had an associate's then a bachelor's? Is there, is there any concerns that you or your colleagues have about that particular track?
0: We often call those programs accelerated master's programs. Mm -hmm. Oftentimes, um, those individuals, they've already had one career outside of nursing, and they decide, okay, I want to go into nursing, but, you know, I do not want to go back through the traditional track. And in many ways, they are at a disservice because they have truly not had the amount of time to be out there and really practice in different nursing settings before then they move on into their advanced practice studies. But on the flip side, Mm -hmm. some of those individuals are very intuitive. They're often a little bit older, so they're more focused sometimes in their studies, and they compensate for that. So, I would say a lot of it depends on the individual. But I personally have seen where those individuals do tend to struggle a little bit more when they get to their advanced APRN type um, courses. And now I'm trying to teach them how to become a provider, right. and prescribe, diagnose, and care or perhaps some diagnoses that they've not had the opportunity yet to see in a clinical setting. Yeah.
1: Cause they haven't worked as a, a, you know, boots on the ground nurse for five years prior. That's, that's been one of my concerns. I've seen that in several clients I've spoken with and just out in the world, I just kind of hear people talk about this. So your clarity about all these different tracks is super helpful. And I think you know what i see with the bureau of labor statistics is that they're projecting 45% job growth for nurse practitioners between 2020 and 2030 which they say is much faster than average compared to registered nurses where the job growth is now projected at 9% between 2020 and 2030 so we can see that that this expectation and this projection of many many people seeking education and careers in advanced practice as nurses is is pretty accelerated. And do you agree with the BLS that it, the job outlook is likely that robust?
0: I think it is. I think that obviously there will be more opportunities in certain areas of the country than mm-hmm. others.
1: That's true. But we
0: continue to see a decline in uh, medical school entrance. Uh, We know that more and more physicians are nearing retirement. Someone needs to be able to step in and care for more patients. And we have that place to do that with our education and training. Now, I'm not here to say we're here to replace the heart surgeon. That's definitely not what I'm saying. But we definitely have a place in healthcare as providers, not yeah. only the nurse practitioners, but our other colleagues, our other roles, the CRNAs, the nurse anesthetists, nurse midwives, and clinical nurse specialists as yeah. well. And I will say that it is concerning of the registered nurse projections, because we also have many RNs who are either retiring or they're leaving the field because of the burnout from COVID. Mm -hmm. Or then they're leaving the bedside to become advanced practice nurses. Yes. And so we still need those nurses at the bedside as well.
1: Thank you for pointing that out. that 9% projected job growth between now and 2030 concerns me as well. When I hear about them saying that, you know, they in the nursing area, not the BLS are saying we need, you know, a million nurses between now and 2030, you know, that that's what these, these numbers mm-hmm. being thrown around about the nurses we need. And when I look at the BLS website right now for physicians and surgeons, the job outlook to between now and 2030 is 3% growth. In physicians and surgeons, so that tells us a heck of a lot. If you look at three percent for physicians, nine percent for RNs, and forty-five percent for nurse practitioners, we're we're seeing in a major sea change in terms of what's going on. So this conversation you and I are having right now is super important. And I wanted to go back to the consensus model for a second, and then we're going to talk about a whole lot more in the second half. But you mentioned lace licensure, accreditation, certification, education, which is the communication arm of the consensus model. What does that mean? What is, what is LACE really? And how does that fit into what we're talking about in terms of where we are with advanced practice?
0: Sure. So when the consensus model was launched in 2008, it certainly had this ripple effect Across the advanced practice nursing world, it affected licensure, it affected accreditation, certification, and education. Hmm. And so it was decided that there needed to be a consistent group of stakeholders who met on a regular basis to continue to monitor the trends And when interpretation of the consensus model came up, there needed to be, so to speak, a mouthpiece for this document, the consensus model. So currently, there are approximately 32 organizations that meet on a monthly basis. We have our LACE network calls every month. I have the opportunity to be one of the representatives for GAPNA I have sat in on those calls monthly since 2015. And we try to address questions that come up related to how do we interpret the consensus model? And as things change, the whole healthcare landscape is changing. And how do we address that? Uh, for instance, um, back when the uh, consensus model was developed, we did not have nurse practitioner residency programs. Now we're seeing those residency programs like you know, you talked about medical schools and then the medical students once they graduated from medical school going on to a residency. Mm-hmm. But now we're seeing nurse practitioner residency programs. Well, once someone graduates as a nurse practitioner, although they are limited, there are opportunities for nurse practitioners to then go to a residency program. Well, recently, a situation came up where some nurse practitioners who maybe were trained in one patient population decided to go through a residency program in a different patient population so that they could switch over to a new patient population. But the consensus model does not allow that. The consensus model is very clear that if you change your, your focus area, you must go back to school to do so. And so after much deliberation and research, you know, we came out with a statement reminding people that while you can certainly go through these residency programs, it doesn't allow you to change your population foci in which you are certified.
1: I see. So it sounds like LACE is almost an advanced practice nursing think tank. And it's more than a think tank because it actually communicates to the public and to the nursing community what it is the consensus model actually says. And they help to interpret that pretty dense document.
0: That That is a very good analogy. Yeah,
2: yes.
1: Yeah. So it's very complex. And before we take a break, I wanted to ask another question, and you know, I'm demonstrating some of my own ignorance, and that's great because that's how you know. No, the stupidest question is the one we don't ask, right? Yeah, so, sure. we we do have there are postmasters certificates, um, these other certifications that advanced practice nurses can get. There's like emergency nursing. There's there's several. Along the line, right, and that you're not actually going back to school like for another degree, but you're doing a training which gets you this other kind of postmaster's accreditation. What what are those, and um, do they fall within the consensus model?
0: So that's a great question.
1: Oh, good. So yeah. a
0: postmaster certification, yes, is when someone goes back school after they already have their master's degree. And let's say they want to change population foci. Let's say that they they have always been neonatal, but they really want to do pediatrics now. And so instead of having to go back and retake all of the basics, they get you know some credit for that. They have a shortened educational uh, program of study. But they call it a postmaster certificate. Uh-huh. Now they could also enroll in a doctoral program and then it would not be a postmaster certificate. Then they would complete a doctoral program. Right, a but using degree. your terminology, right. And postmaster certificates are fairly common. For instance, um You mentioned adult nurse practitioners. They have retired our adult nurse practitioner certification. I was trained as an adult nurse practitioner. I later became also a gerontological nurse practitioner. I have two separate certifications. If I ever let one of those lapse, I have no recourse to retake the exam.
1: Because that exam doesn't exist anymore. It doesn't
0: exist anymore. Right, because now we have the
1: adult gerontological combined. That is
0: correct. That is correct. And my transcripts do not show that I completed an adult gerontology program. So I then would need to go back to school and pick up whatever components that I'm missing on that transcript to get a postmaster certificate. But now let's talk about emergency nurse practitioners. That is a specialty. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: So the consensus model lays that groundwork for our population foci, our program of study, our focused area. And so let's say it is family nurse practitioner. Mm -hmm. But this FNP works in an emergency room and really wants that specialization to be recognized that he or she has that expert qualifications to work in an emergency room. There is a specialty exam that one can take They can go through emergency nurse practitioner track and then take that exam. Another excellent example is for gerontology nurse practitioners. They did away with our, quote, specialty. They combined it with adult. So my organization, after doing its research and determining the proficiencies for a geriatric nurse practitioner, developed a separate uh, certification arm, and we now have a specialty exam for gerontological specialists.
1: Wow. Okay. So there's
0: differences then, as you can see, between specialists and then the track in which you are um, educated.
1: Yes. And when we come back from the break, one of the things I want to talk about among many is why employers should understand these, what I would say, labyrinthine (laughs) nurse practitioner training potent possibilities and what it means when they don't understand what nurse practitioner training really is and what all those letters after your name mean. So when we come back from the break, we're going to dig into that and a whole lot more and your history and GAPNA. And so hang out here with us for the second half of episode 377 of The Nurse Keith Show. And welcome back to the second half of the episode. This is episode 377, and we're here again with friend of the pod, Natalie Baker of the Gerontological Advanced Practice Nurses Association, Dr. Natalie Baker, I should actually say. Now, Natalie, I just want to talk about you for a second. So let's talk about you. So, you're president of GAPNA. And you've served on all sorts of national coalitions. And you just talked about the consensus model and how you're involved in the LACE meetings that happen every month. You're associate professor at UAB School of Nursing. Is that University of Alabama?
0: University of Alabama at Birmingham.
1: Birmingham, that's right. And you're also a nurse practitioner at a rural long-term care facility in North Alabama. And you've been recognized by the National Hartford Center of Gerontological Nursing Excellence as a distinguished educator in gerontological nursing. You've received awards. You've been recognized by UAB as a visionary leader. You're a fellow of the American Academy of Nursing and the American Association of Nurse Practitioners. And your credentials are very impressive. I mean, you have DNP, ANPBC, which is that adult nurse practitioner. GNPBC, which is the gerontological nurse practitioner. Then you have CNE, which is what? The Certified Nurse Educator. Nurse Educator. And then you have GSC, which is that new gerontological specialist certification developed by GAPNA, right? Correct. I've been listening. Okay. And then you have F-A-A-N-P, which is a fellow of the American Academy of Nurse Practitioners?
0: It's it's the fellow of the American Association of Nurse Practitioners. Practitioners.
1: And then you're also F-A-A-N, which is a fellow of? American Academy of Nursing. Wow. So that's an amazing alphabet soup, as you said, after your name. And so you've been around the block. And how long have you been a nurse, by the way?
2: I have
0: been a nurse since 1985. So, yes,
1: 1985, I've you,
0: been around a few years.
1: You been a nurse by 11 years. Okay.
0: And I've been a nurse practitioner
1: since 1990. Wow. So you became a nurse practitioner pretty quickly within the course of your career. I mean, just five years in.
0: Y- yes. I went back to school about two and a half to three years in. Then I went through a program that was about two years.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, that was a long time ago.
1: It was a different um, world. In, it was a totally different world.
0: It's yeah. it was before we had computers. Can you it's imagine? True. Yeah, when we I started.
1: Actually,
0: I'm sorry.
1: No, go ahead, please.
0: We actually went to the library to do our
1: research. We did. Oh my gosh, I remember I, I was <laughs> doing my my bachelor's of nursing. I already had my associates at the university of Massachusetts Amherst. And we had this library that was like, I don't know, 13 stories tall or 14 stories tall, something like that. And, you know, it's like a different subject on each floor. Mm -hmm. And we would have to go through these pretty antiquated computers to find, you know, what shelf and then what box this particular journal might be in. And you'd, you'd all take, wait for the elevator, get to the, like the 11th Finally, found, find it in the stacks and realize that oh, someone took that journal and never returned. <laughs> so you go back downstairs and find something else that might work for your research. So it was you know it was like when we also had to walk to school on broken glass you know backwards in the oh, snow. Yeah, of course, yeah, of course, yeah, and uphill both ways, yeah. Of course, absolutely. You yeah. know,
0: I can remember when I graduated in nineteen ninety with my master's. Yeah, and I can remember them. I watched them bring in some of the very first computers into that school. Wow. And I was thinking, oh, I am so glad I am through with my studies and I'll never have to deal with a computer.
1: Famous last words. Absolutely.
0: Little did I know that years later I would get my doctorate online and that then I would become an educator at that very university and teach my classes Mm -hmm. virtually.
1: Yeah. So you've seen more changes than I have. I became a nurse in 96. So you've been doing this since the eighties. So you saw a whole lot more, a lot changed in that period of time leading up to say the end of the 20th century. And I wanted to talk with you a little bit about GAPNA, the Gerontological Advanced Practice Nurses Association of which you are the president. Now, my assumption is from looking at the website and reading through stuff is that, you know, like any other specialty nursing organization, it's about forwarding that particular specialty, educating people, supporting nurse practitioners who have the designation or those who would like it. Right. And it's sort of promoting like, Hey, this is a really cool area of study and clinical practice. And you shared at the top of the show that the number of people who are of advanced age, of which I am slowly becoming one of those people. (laughs) Um, This is a very, very important specialty for obvious reasons. So are you encouraged by the number of people who are showing interest in this particular area of clinical specialty?
0: I am. You know, we are the premier organization for advanced practice nurses caring for older adults but we also have an associate membership for any nurse caring for older adults so you do not have to be an advanced practice nurse and we promote excellence in caring for older adults we our members are clinicians they may be educators they may be researchers so we have a very diverse group of members with that common goal of advancing the care of older adults. And we're uh, very active um, with advocacy, you know, uh, promoting changes uh, at the legislative level. You know, it's interesting that nurse practitioners cannot order diabetic shoes. Who would have guessed?
1: Amazing. You can prescribe narcotics in certain circumstances depending on the state.
0: Absolutely. We can order insulin. We can order medicines that if not taken properly will kill our patient, but we cannot order diabetic shoes to prevent foot ulcers. So so we are very involved um, with those type of initiatives. And we also align and partner with other organizations so that there is more power in numbers.
1: That sounds like a really smart idea, and I see that you, you know, you have student memberships, you have chapters, you have committees, you have a leadership institute, special interest groups, corporate membership, and all the certification stuff that you mentioned before the gerontological specialty. And I see you have an annual conference that's coming up in um, Orlando, Florida, September fifteenth to seventeenth, twenty twenty two. That's at the annual GAPNA conference at the Hyatt Regency Grand Cypress. And then I also see you have a, a pharmacology and prescribing an older adults conference in 2023, and that's April. And that happens to be in Honolulu, Hawaii. So you've got some really great um, events coming up for people who are interested. And I'm sure someone who's a nurse practitioner who isn't yet, gerontological specialist or maybe even a nurse who's interested could go to go to that conference?
0: Oh, absolutely. We have uh, nurse practitioners with all backgrounds. You do Mm -hmm. not have to be a gerontological nurse practitioner. We also have clinical nurse specialists. We do have registered nurses who are not advanced practice. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we have physician's assistants who also attend our meetings we um, have educational resources online. Uh, some of those, you know, you must purchase, but we have free toolkits for clinicians, uh, gerontology resources for advanced practice nurses and preceptors. Uh, we also have another toolkit that we keep updated for APRNs who practice in the acute and emergent care setting. It's hmm. one thing we learned About five years ago, as the acute care nurse practitioners caring for these adults in hospitals, they did not have an organization. And so we developed a special interest group just for them. And we make sure at our conferences we have topics specific for them so that they can get the education that they need as well.
1: Yes. Now, let's dig into a couple points. So one is nurse practitioners are trained in acute care or primary care, right? So we have those tracks.
0: Yes. If you do adult gerontology or pediatrics.
1: Right. Those two have the tracks. So what should someone think about if they're in the process, because you're a nurse educator. So they're in the process, they're going along and they're like, okay, I'm looking at, Gerontological, adult gerontological nursing, or I'm looking at the pediatrics, how do I decide whether I'm going to go primary or acute? What are some of the thought processes you think are important to engage in to get yourself to that place of feeling pretty clear?
0: I think you need to ask yourself, do I primarily want to take care of someone who maybe is in the hospital, who is physiological and stable you know, technologically dependent
2: mm-hmm.
0: or, or maybe highly vulnerable to complications? You know, do you like those type of settings and patients? And if so, I, then I would um, strongly recommend that you go the acute care route. Right.
1: I would but also, if, add, I want to add one ahead. thing here um, that I talk to my clients about is that, it's the nature of the relationship with the patient too. It's short term, right? Exactly. In acute care. And, sorry, I didn't and, mean to interrupt. But I wanted no,
0: to add that. we're on the same wavelength because that's what I was about to say. Oh, so sorry. <laughs> no, that's fine. But if you like someone or you know, if you're someone who really wants to have that long-lasting relationship with your patient population mm-hmm. who will get sick. And Mm -hmm. have acute episodic illness, a urinary tract infection, pneumonia, who may develop chronic diseases such as diabetes, Mm -hmm. also need preventative care, you know, making sure that they get their vaccinations and that they get their mammograms, then you're probably someone who would be more well-suited for primary care. Yes. And there's always some overlap in what we do. But I think those are the big two endpoints that you think about before you decide acute or primary. That's fair. Yeah. And then I think you also need to ask yourself, do I primarily like taking care of children, adults, adolescents, older adults? Mm -hmm. Because some people think, well, if I go to an FNP or family nurse practitioner program, I can take care of anyone from the womb to the tomb, which is true. But if you really know you want to do older adults, then I would recommend you do the adult gerontology track because you will get more classroom information and clinical experiences And be tested on your certification exam more heavily Mm -hmm. in those geriatric topics like geropharmacology, end of life, Mm -hmm. chronic diseases, those type of issues.
1: So those are some of the major distinctions between a family nurse practitioner's training and an adult gerontological nurse practitioner's training. And, you know... Almost everyone who comes to me about becoming a nurse practitioner talks about being an FNP. And what I often say to them is, okay, so do you really want to be trained and educated to work with people from wound to tomb? Is that really what you want? Do you want to have, be like that broad, broad generalist? And I also tell them that if you're going to work in primary care, You need to be realistic about what primary care means because a lot of people come to me who are newish nurse practitioners, FNPs specifically, and they say, you know, I didn't realize when I was going to become an FNP that I was going to be hammered into this as a round peg into a square hole where I basically have to function like a primary care doctor, where I see a patient every 15 minutes and I don't really have time to do much preventive care. So a lot of people come to me frustrated that primary care is in this, you know, very tight 15 minute schedule visit kind of model. And they don't feel like they can provide the holistic nursing care that they were actually trained to do and why they wanted to be a provider in the first place. So I have some concerns about people who rush into FNP and then realize what that might mean, depending on the practice they choose. Do you, do you share some of those concerns?
0: I do. And unfortunately employers oftentimes do not truly understand how we are educated and trained And we are educated and trained according to competencies Mm -hmm. related to whichever population foci that, you know, track that we go through. And oftentimes employers think, well, I'll just hire an FMP because they can take care of anybody who walks in the door. Right. They can do anything. and, And that might be fine if you're in a rural emergency room setting where you truly do not have any control of who walks in the door. But if you're an adult uh, clinic or you're a long-term care facility, you know, you really need someone with that in-depth information about older adults. And oftentimes people do not understand that if you do adult gerontology, you're trained to take care of patients from early adolescence on through old, you know, being an older adult, you know, until, until their death. And the World Health Organization actually defines adolescence as beginning at the age of 10.
1: Wow. And then if we look at pediatric nurse practitioners, some of them care for patients into their early twenties, because some will stay in a pediatric practice, especially like a specialty practice till they're maybe 21 ish.
0: Some will even stay even longer, like maybe if they have cystic fibrosis. Yes. A Down syndrome. You know, you have to remember now that with so many advances in healthcare, we really can't use a magic number cutoff. No. And even at the nursing home where I see patients, sometimes I may have a patient who is in their
1: 30s, mm-hmm.
0: but they've got those chronic diseases that I see in the 80-year-olds.
1: Right. For whatever reason.
0: Absolutely. So most states, for that reason, the boards of nursing in most states do not limit our advanced practice nurses to an age group necessarily. I
1: see. So, so, so far we've talked about the consensus model and what that means and how long it's actually been around, almost 15 years. We've talked about LACE, licensure, accreditation, certification, education, that sort of Think tank, the communication arm of the consensus model. And we've really delved into what this all means in terms of, you know, do we go acute care, do we go primary care, and this difference between an FNP and an adult gerontological, and how the training might be much more, will be much more intensive, say, in terms of gerontology, if you do the adult gerontological track and not the FNP track. So, people have to think very carefully about what really draws them to practice as an advanced practice registered nurse because that once you choose that track it, there's some work involved in going back and a question i have for you that just popped into my head is say i train as a pediatric nurse practitioner and i choose acute care And 10, 12 years in, I'm like, you know, I'd actually like to check out primary care. How do I then go back and get training to become a primary care pediatric nurse practitioner? What happens?
0: So to be able to sit then for that primary pediatric nurse practitioner program, you have to look at their... Qualifications, their criteria. And it is heavily focused on where you did your clinical hours of training. I see. Hence the reason why you have to go back to school. Uh-huh. So, what schools of nursing will do is they will look at your past transcript and they will see where you are lacking to meet those qualifications to take the new certification and it is called a gap
1: analysis. A gap analysis, okay. And then
0: they will develop your program of study that will then allow you to meet those qualifications for the certification exam and whatever new area you want to do.
1: I see. So whatever choice a APRN makes, in their education, certification, and then career trajectory, there are ways to pivot. If a time comes where you want to pivot, it can be done. It just generally involves more education, going back to school, sitting for a new exam, et cetera. So it can all be done. There's just some stuff you have to do to make it happen.
0: Absolutely. It can yeah. always be done.
1: Yeah,
0: I never think that, okay, I locked myself in mm-hmm. and, and I'm stuck.
2: Mm-hmm. Because
0: with nursing, we love new opportunities. There's always a door out there that can open for you.
1: Mm-hmm. Well said. Very well said. Now, before we go, there are a few questions I like to ask all my guests. I've been doing this for a number of months now and it's really fun. And these questions aren't necessarily related to what we've been talking about. Um, So I'm just springing these on you and let's just see, are you you game for me to spring some questions on you? Sure. Great, okay. Sorry, I didn't warn you, but it's just, it's part of the price you pay for being on the show. (laughs) Okay, so the first question is, How do you define success, either personally or professionally?
0: I think success is whatever you do that you are happy about and you feel like you've made a difference.
1: Good, solid answer. I like that one. Okay, next question. How would you describe one person who's inspired you in the course of your life, living or dead, famous or not famous? To be anyone
2: at all now that's a hard question mm. because i
0: i can't think of just one person mm-hmm. but i would say that i have been inspired by people who do not give up who set a goal and even though they may have barriers they figure out how to get around those barriers to accomplish whatever it is they want to accomplish.
1: Hmm. That's beautiful. That's great. So it's not a specific person. It's just sort of a, a type of person you've encountered in your life who you've noticed. Like those, those yes. people really inspire you. That's great. And they could end up being like mentors for you. Somebody who you emulate or look up to.
0: Definitely. That's really
1: nice. I like that. Okay. Two more questions. The next one is, is there a book or a movie? It doesn't have to be your absolute favorite, just one that just pops into your head. That's had an impact on the way you think, the way you live your life, the way you see the world, just anything at all. It could be something you read as a child or something you read last week or watched last week.
0: I would say the Bible,
1: just oh, yeah? Tell those, about that.
0: those principles of you know doing good.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: And treating everyone with love and respect and not judging people, I think has helped me, especially in my nursing career.
2: Mm. Because
0: as we encounter all different types of individuals walking different walks of life, having different values and beliefs, we can all treat everyone with love and respect the same as Jesus Christ did.
1: That's lovely. so are you are you a reader of both the Old Testament and New Testament? Do you read both? Yes, yeah. yeah, that's lovely. Thank you. Okay, and here's the last one. What's one piece of advice you would give eighteen year old Natalie right now whether you think she would listen or not?
0: To follow your dreams mm-hmm. And again, to not give up. To figure out what you want to do and don't lose sight of that goal.
1: So, in a way, you're going back to your answer to how you define success and the people who've inspired you in the course of your life. Actually, you're kind of dipping back to those answers because that's how that seems to be part of your value system. And you would want 18 year old Natalie to know that.
0: Well, I think so. You know, I am a a first generation college graduate.
1: Wow. Congratulations.
0: You know, being told all of my childhood that I would go to college, Mm -hmm. but I did not know a single person who had gone to college personally.
1: Mm. Wow. And And look at you now. I mean, look at what you've accomplished.
0: Well, I try to inspire those who feel like that they don't have a way to go to college.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's wonderful. And I'm sure you've inspired a lot of people. And I have one last question for you that just came into my head. What's your vision for advanced practice nursing in the next 25 to 30 years? What What would you love to see happen?
0: We are going to have to have full practice authority across this country. Okay. And I think that it is going to have to come from the federal level. As you mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, we have what a lot of 45% projected growth in advanced practice nurses. Mm-hmm. Almost half of the states in this country prohibit us from doing everything we are educated and trained to do.
1: You're so right.
0: And I can say, you know, in my own state, where we have a very restrictive practice uh, laws, we rank lowest and in the, you know, the, the lower tier in almost all health
1: metrics. Isn't that fascinating?
0: It is, uh, and when you look at the states that rank in the lower metrics, They are from restricted practice states. Mm. So my vision, my hope is that within the next decade, we can all practice to our full extent of our education and training so that we can provide the level of care that patients need. And not every patient has access to a willing and ready and waiting physician.
1: Well said. Oh my gosh. Mic drop. That was perfect. Thank you. Um, That's exactly what I wanted to hear. (laughs) Um, You must be reading my mail. So thank you so much, Natalie. This, this has all been super clear. We need this kind of crystalline clarity right now because there is this confusion about what APRNs do and we want employers to understand If we can ever get them to understand, that would be awesome. But people like you are advancing this cause and I really, really appreciate it. So thank you so much for being here. I encourage people to check out the Gerontological Advanced Practice Nurses Association. You can go to the conference in Orlando in September, 2022, or you can go to Hawaii in Honolulu for the Gerontological um, Pharmacology Conference. And both hotels, I have to say, are on the beach. Orlando and Honolulu. So you kind of can't go wrong and you'll get CEUs too and meet some really cool people. So Natalie, thank you so much for representing GAPNA and um, thanks for doing such good work in the world. It's been my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Well, there you have it. Thanks for listening to this awesome episode of The Nurse Keith Show with Natalie Baker of the Gerontological Advanced Practice Nurses Association, GAPNA. Please check them out. I hope you feel uplifted, empowered, and informed from this episode. So take some inspired action in the interest of your personal and professional development. If you need personalized holistic career coaching, Look no further than nursekeith.com and Nurse Keith Coaching. Mention Natalie or Gapna or the show and get 10% off your first coaching package. And if you want to become a patron over Patreon, that would be awesome. We're a proud member of the Health Podcast Network at healthpodcastnetwork.com. We are adroitly produced by Rob Johnston of 520 r Podcasting. And Mark Spieson is our stalwart social media ringmaster and newsletter wrangler. Before we say goodbye, I'll leave you with this quote by the musician Robert Fripp. One of my favorite quotes, may my living honor my parents, may my living repay the debt of my existence. Be well, dig deep, seek joy, keep in touch. This is Nurse Keith saying audio still next time from beautiful Santa Fe, New Mexico and new friend of the pod and my friend and colleague, Natalie Baker saying arrivederci from
0: Still, Alabama.
1: Thank you so much, Natalie. Thank you to everyone for listening. And we will catch you on the proverbial flip side.